Welcome to The Giving Experience. The Giving Experience podcast is a journey into our hearts and souls to grow more connected with our maker and one another through the practice of generosity in all things. You will hear stories of people that have been impacted on both sides of the giving experience. Join us in childlike wonder as we explore and become more present and aware of these miracles that saturate the world around us every day. We are your hosts, Chad Hauer. Brent Tayette. And today, I couldn't be more thrilled for the opportunity to share Ben Kinney as our guest with us today. We're actually in Ben's podcast studio for one of my favorite podcasts, Win Make Give, which Ben is a host of. Ben is probably the single most generous person that I know. And so this is a huge, huge thing for me. Ben, thank you for being here. And I'd love for you to share with our audience a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and what do you think has shaped the level of generosity that you have today? Well, thank you, Brent and Chad, for having me on the podcast. I get asked often to be on different shows, and there's really nothing that I despise more than talking about myself or talking about business nonstop. So when I had the opportunity to talk about a subject that I do care about, generosity, I was actually excited to say yes. And thank you both for driving up here to meet with me face to face. Yeah. You're kind of a rags to riches story. And there's been a lot that I know you've experienced through that. It's incredible. Goldman Sachs recently invested. They valued your business at over a billion dollar valuation. Being in business with you myself for over a decade now, I've been able to witness your generosity a lot. And one of the organizations there, KW Cares, it's this nonprofit to take care of your agents. I know you've been competitive in that to an extent where nobody within Keller Williams all across the globe donates more to that than Ben Kinney. And you take that as a personal mission, like I am going to take great care of my people. And that's just a small portion of the generosity that you have throughout your life. So where do you think that stemmed from? I, I want to understand like the deeper root of how Ben became such an incredibly generous person. And it's not just once you became super wealthy that you became generous. This has been through and through my entire time knowing you. Yeah, we'll go back to history lesson, which most of your audience doesn't care about, but we'll give them a history lesson on, on Ben. Born and raised in Washington State. And my parents separated at a super young age, probably around two or three years old. And I don't think either one of them wanted to pay child support. So my mom took my sister and they moved to a single wide trailer in a town called Granite Falls. And my dad took me and we moved to a cabin in a small town called Oso. And the cabin was 280 square feet. We had no power. We had no indoor plumbing. We cooked on a wood stove and we lived a relatively simple life. Every other weekend I go to my mom's. They had a little bit more money, but there's tons of drugs and alcohol and tough situations. And then on my dad's side, we were poor. We were asleep on a couch that was broken in half and didn't have food all the time. I remember there was moments where my dad didn't have potatoes and butter or rice and butter because there wasn't enough for both of us. And that was the only food that we had that night. So I, I came from a position of not having a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that probably created some drive in me to make sure that there was some abundance and there wasn't a lack in my world going forward. But I saw generosity at a pretty young age. And I think I saw generosity in good ways and in bad ways. The community where my dad and I moved to, they were welcoming to us. And it was a small town. There was a gas station with a few groceries, no grocery store. There was a sawmill and there was a Baptist church. And that was it. Like mm -hmm. literally for 25 miles, you couldn't find anything else. And so I grew up in the Baptist church and in that community and running around the streets and the rivers and the trails with my friends there. 
There was a time when my dad was fixing the roof for the pastor at the Baptist church, and he fell off the roof and broke his leg. Mm. And my dad had no health insurance, and a one-legged roofer wasn't something where you could go make money. I think most of his work was probably paid under the table too, so he didn't even have the ability to go get unemployment or something like that. And that was one of the poorest times I remember. I fished a little bit and caught fish, and the church gave us some canned food and those dry goods, those sort of things, and that's what we lived on. I remember going through this box of canned food and like looking through what the different families had donated so that we had some stuff. But the vast majority of stuff, Chad and Brent, in, in the box was like pumpkin pie mix mm. and black olives and canned asparagus. Like what you saw there was that people gave away the things they didn't need or want not necessarily the good things that their family used. Is that really generosity? Like generosity should be giving something that hurts when you give it away. Mm -hmm. Generosity should be giving to your enemy and being okay with it. And that wasn't necessarily it. Like what does a cabin with no power do with pumpkin pie mix? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was plenty of examples of other people that went above and beyond to help us during that time. But it was funny. That was like my first thought of, Oh, that isn't necessarily the generosity that I want to be a part of going forward. Like I want to give my last dollar away and borrow one more to give to somebody if that's what it takes. So early in my world, it was a combination of drugs and alcohol witnessing from one side and then pretty severe poverty on the other side. We had slept in tents and travel trailers and really run down dirty cabins. And so I kind of had that as my childhood. So once I got out of the home, which was right about when I turned 18, I just decided that I wasn't going to be poor, that I was going to work really hard, whether that was six days or seven days or eight days, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in a week. Just made the decision I wasn't going to be hungry again. I'm dying to know what came next. We go on these journeys in life, and for me, I don't believe that I knew where I was going to be in life. It's always been if you walk a little bit forward, two doors open, you choose one door, and behind that door, there's another two doors. Mm And it's just this kind of path. And there are these domino things that happen in life. From a career perspective, I got a job early on while I was in high school at GNC, the vitamin store. And I I was working at the vitamin store. And I don't know if you all know this, but GNC, the supplement place, like they get commission. Like if you buy two of the multivitamins, you get the guys or gals selling it, get 25 cents or whatever the commission is, right? And if you sell this, you make a little bit more. That was the first time in my life that I realized that your income doesn't have to be in direct correlation to the hours that you spend. That if you did things in a certain way, you could actually make more money per hour. But that job at the vitamin store led me to my next career stop, which was working as a cable guy. And the reason was the manager at the vitamin store, her husband, got a job installing cable TV. She told me that he got this job and there was this opportunity and I could make more money doing that. And so I followed that. And from that, it led me to my next job. And from that, it led me to my next thing and the next thing. And every single thing that I've accomplished in life is because of a relationship or a door that opened in the past. And I never imagined that I got to be doing what I do today. Three years ago, I wouldn't have told you I was doing this. Wow. Funny. When I think about your journey of growing up with nothing and creating all that you have, money just magnifies who we already are. You also speak to the idea that generosity 
is giving to your enemies. And I know you've shared with me some examples of when you've actually done that. It just magnifies your heart, giving to others, even when it hurts. And I'm curious, like, where does that stem from? How do you just find the perspective to be able to do that? I'm just really impressed by the way I've seen you show up. We all say, like, Ben just always does the right thing. And I'm sure that's not 100% true. We all make mistakes and screw up. And yet your character is higher than anyone else that I personally have the honor of knowing. Last week, I wore a t-shirt on stage at my event we hosted, and the t-shirt said, don't be an a-hole. And it's a good rule in life, but <laughs> yeah. it's also a reminder to myself, right? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes you got to have these reminders. Like, it's a philosophy that I want to live by, like, be kind and work hard. Uh -huh. But also, I have to remind myself sometimes of, hey, calm down, be patient, like, be a little bit nicer, be more generous. We always have to be reminded. But also, I think it, Chad, it comes from hanging around with other people that are generous and that are kind and that, that work hard. Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Hmm. When I read that, I thought, like, if we don't provide for our people in our household, we're as bad as an unbeliever. If we don't provide for our family, we're as bad as an unbeliever. If we don't provide for our neighbors, we're as bad as an unbeliever. It just kind of reminded me that we're given these gifts so that we can do good with it, mm -hmm. not just to promote ourselves or make ourselves look good. We're given these gifts so that we can do good. And I understand that even though I had a kind of a harder childhood, that I've been given some gifts that my peers and some of my friends and some of my family haven't been. And maybe I have a competitive advantage because of some skills or some things that I have. And I, I think we should be aware of what gifts we are given and that it's not evenly distributed to the population. And because of that, we have a duty to do some good with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their unique gifts, whatever that might be. Yeah. And some of them are highlighted because we've honed them over time. Maybe other people have been given some gifts and they haven't honed them and they haven't worked mm -hmm. as hard at them. And I just decided to like my desire to not be poor has driven me to a point where I have the abundance to give to other people and to do good and to and to help people. There was a story, Brent, a friend sat down once and he, he put a glass of water in front of me and the glass of water was full. And he said, Ben, this glass of water represents you and your life. And that water in there is yours. But if you want fresh, colder, better water, the only way to do that is to pour some out. Mm. So if I wanted to continue to keep my glass full with cold and amazing and better water, I had to share some of it and I had to pour it out. And that just kind of shows up. You yeah. asked me about a story the mm. other day. There, there was a gentleman that came and he said, Ben, I'm going to lose my house or whatever his situation was and I'm struggling and I need to uh, borrow some money from someone. And he needed like $5,000 and I had maybe 6000 uh, I didn't have much to give. And I loaned this gentleman that money. By the way, he never paid me back. I didn't know how I was going to pay the rest of my bills, but I just knew he needed it more than me. And it was like two or three days later, I opened the mail and I had a check from someone and it was the exact same amount that I had given away. Mm -hmm. And there was a letter that said, hey, a long time ago, you helped me out with something and I felt bad. I never paid you back, but here it is. And, and it's entirely, and it was just like such a bizarre 
like life thing yeah. to me that things will work out. Just do that. And the guy that never paid me back, it was okay. Cause I never give anything to anybody with the expectations of giving it back, getting something back. That really wouldn't be generosity, would it? I just accepted there's a really good chance that I would never be paid back, but I was still yeah. okay giving it. And then when I do get paid back, it's always an awesome surprise. Yeah. And I feel good about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Instead of being disappointed that somebody didn't, I just assume that if they don't, they needed it more than me and I'm going to be fine. Yeah. And you could have resentment build as time goes on if you have that expectation of... I'm going to get paid back for this and it's not happening for whatever reason. So I think that's so wise to just go into it with that mentality right out the gate. This is a gift. I think that as you look at generosity, let's not make generosity today about money Mm -hmm. because it's not. Generosity is given a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a ton of money, then generosity could be as simple as giving a compliment. And I try really hard to give sincere good compliments when needed. And I need to remind myself to do it more. Probably the people that need it the most in my life, I probably don't say it enough, but I try to make sure that I'm giving good words to people. In fact, I heard a gentleman speak this week about business and he said, never tell somebody they did a good job that works for you. Because when you tell somebody they did a good job, they, they have a feeling like, well, I was paid to do that, or you made me do that or something like that. Just tell them congratulations. Because when you tell them congratulations, they feel good about it and they want to do it again because then they realize that the thing that they did it for themselves, hmm. they did it to be good at whatever mm. job they're doing or role or whatever it might be. So if you think about giving a compliment, what would the next level be? It would be maybe give some time. Like sometimes all people need from you is somebody to sit down and listen. Yeah, companionship. Right. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the next thing that we could give somebody is a lesson. Maybe we could teach them how to do something teach them to fish or teach them to find their things or teach them to be successful at something. And then maybe we can give money and if we have extra. But I think the ultimate form of giving is not the amount of money I'm going to be able to give in my life. That's going to be insignificant. But if I could inspire 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people to give, the summation of everything that's given away actually would be really massive. Mm -hmm. So the ultimate level of giving isn't money at all. It's actually teaching other people to give time, compliments, lessons, money, and hopefully them teaching other people to give as well. I understand you better now knowing the verse you shared in in Timothy, right? What's interesting is, so in the context of that, a household 2,000 years ago is much different than it is in our society today, right? And so back then that included household, maybe servants or staff, cousins, nieces, nephews, what have you, right? And so I just want to encourage you, I see that demonstrated in how you care for your staff. I think three times we were told when we were getting set up today, hey, feel free to grab some snacks. Hey, did anybody get you some water, right? Whatever you need, right? So there's definitely a culture of caring here. And that only comes because your people feel cared for, right? And this leads right into, we're surrounded by these amazing posters, there was this one quote that stuck out to me. It's an eight by 10 frame. It's on the windowsill. And it's a quote by Winston Churchill. And it said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And I'm dying to know, what is it about that that motivates you and your team? Oh, I could go on and on with Winston Churchill stuff. Funny thing about Winston Churchill, he probably wasn't the greatest husband And he was an alcoholic and he wasn't super nice to his staff. And he probably wasn't the greatest dad either because he gave his entire life to serving the government, to his country. 
And Winston made an enormous amount of mistakes. In fact, he was voted out of office multiple times. He won World War II and beat the Germans and was fired within weeks from being <laughs> prime minister. Like he, he had so many like wins and losses, but I think that's more of a reality of what life is, that we aren't good in all areas of our life. None of us are perfect and none of us are saints, but he gave everything that he could to keep in the free world safe of the tyranny of Adolf Hitler mm -hmm. and the hatred of Adolf Hitler. And he made massive sacrifices in his life and, and he gave and gave. And I think I want to be a better version of that type of leader, maybe mm -hmm. not the alcoholic drunk, <laughs> that sort of stuff. But, you know, I want to be the better version and to give as much as we can in different ways. I would expect nothing less being the incredible trainer that you are than to have just shared with us a model for generosity. I, I envision you up on the board doing your normal triangle where there is always a layer and a foundation. So you've got your foundation of compliments, your generosity triangle. You share with your company about the control triangle. Focus on what we can control. And that's where we can make an impact and move things forward. I want to talk about the opposite side of that, Ben. I, I would love like this. This is a journey into our hearts and souls, this conversation, right? And you're so good at controlling what you can control and helping lead people. And yet at the same time, this podcast is about stepping out in faith when we don't totally know what to expect. Are there any examples that you can share with us where you've really taken a leap of faith and what's shown up as you've taken that step? I wrote this down the other day at an event. A gentleman said, no choice, no problem. What he meant was, we waste a lot of time and energy in our lives worrying about things we can't control. And if you really had strong spiritual faith, you would know that you're in this situation on purpose and that there's a plan and you're going to be okay. One of my favorite Bible verses, iron sharpens iron like a friend sharpens a friend. I also believe that we're not supposed to go through life alone, that we're only as strong as the people we surround ourselves with. And part of my faith Part of my confidence comes from the quality of humans that I surround myself with. And I think I have an enormous amount of people that would step in front of a bus for me because they know I would push them out of the way and step in front of it first. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we'd argue who got hit by the bus first. That's the type of friends and people that I have in my world and partners that you got to meet a few of them earlier mm -hmm. today. They're that type of human. So it gives me a lot of strength to have that confidence, to know that I'm not at this alone. What are some specific stories or experiences you think our audience would appreciate? Like the situation where you showed up to, you could call it an enemy, and the way you responded to that. Yeah, there's another situation where one of my friends embezzled a bunch of money from me. This gentleman had been living in one of my houses for free because he was going through a hard time in his life, and I had let him live there. Well, the entire time... He was living there and was at my house for one of the holidays. He was embezzling money from our company. Yeah. Probably thirty or forty thousand dollars of money, which at that point in my life was a lot of money that we needed to make payroll. And when I caught him at first I didn't believe it. One of my managers says, Hey, I think we have a problem with somebody stealing and I'm gonna tell you who it is. And I said, Uh, I don't think he'd do that. And he said, We're pretty confident. I said, Okay, tell him to come into the office. So we invite him in the office 
and we sit them down and they show me some of the evidence before I walk into that meeting. And I go to the gentleman, I said, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and how you respond is how I'm going to respond to you. And I'm going to ask you to tell me the truth. And if you don't, then I'm going to respond way differently. So I said, Hey, we know that you've been stealing from the company and I would like you to help me figure out exactly how much. And he immediately started to backtrack. I said, last time, we've already confirmed it. I need you to tell me the truth. So he did. And I said, I need you to log in. And he logged into the software and we could see exactly how much it was. So I go to my CFO and said, hey, do me a favor. We call the police. And I said, the police are coming in. I'm going to need you to fill out a police report. And if you tell the truth and you write down exactly what you did and how it happened, I will decide how I'm going to respond. And I will respond with as much kindness as I can in the situation. So he did. He wrote out the police report. He wrote down exactly what he did. The police were standing there and I went to the CFO and the police officer said, will you guys do me a favor? And we step out of the room for a second. So they all stepped out. And I went to this gentleman and I said, I'm going to tell you a couple of things and it's going to be hard for you to process this, but I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Number one, I want to apologize. I must have done something or the company has must have done something that created so much resentment inside of you that you felt justified in stealing, not just from your company, but from a friend. I know I have some DNA in that situation, and I just want to get it out there first and say I'm sorry. I wasn't aware, and I'm going to take this as a learning lesson for myself. Number two, I want to let you know that I'm forgiving you right now and that you don't have to pay me back for that money. And number three, this is going to be the hardest thing that you're going to, you're going to hear. We're going to wrap up today, and you're going to leave. You're going to pack up your stuff and get out of my house, by the way. And I'm going to go home. I'm going to probably barbecue a steak or chicken, and I'm going to watch a movie on Netflix. And I'm not going to think about you again. And you're going to go home, and while you're packing, and when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to realize that you lost a friend and a partner and somebody that really cared for you that would have took care of you for the rest of your life. And that is not going to go away. And that's something you're going to have to deal with for a long time. And I'm sorry, you got to go through that. But me, I'm going to move on because there's so many other people here that, that do care and do want to be a part of what we're doing. And I just said, you can go. And he left and I didn't press charges. In some ways, that was being generous. In other ways, it's a lesson that we all have DNA in every one of these situations whether it's a breakup or a business situation or a partnership ending mm -hmm. or an employee doing something or your kids, like the first thing that any of us should do is come to the table and say, I'm sorry. And when you say you're sorry, you say you're sorry without any expectations of getting an apology back. Yeah, That isn't what a real apology is. Apology isn't contingent on the other person apologizing as well. An apology is just you saying, I'm sorry for anything that I did. I know I have DNA in this situation. And the second thing is forgiveness. And forgiveness is not about them apologizing either. Forgiveness is just about us moving them out of our heart and head so they can no longer steal or cause harm. And they, you can't actually get them out of your head or your heart until you actually forgive them. And that's about us moving on. And so often we don't do those two things and those situations continue to sit in our heart and heads and we build up resentment until the relationships are unrepairable or tell it eats up important parts of our lives. I'm envisioning a two-sided coin of giving generosity on one side and forgiveness on the other. And you can't have one without the other, because if you don't 
give from this place of forgiveness and no expectations like we were talking about. Like this is about our hearts and souls, right? It's going to affect your ability to be generous and give later on down the road, whether it's with that specific person or elsewhere. I think it's just important for us to like cleanse ourselves of those moments. And you've been a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. It's just been a lesson for me. Like you can't handle the trauma that happens in our lives and the BS that happens in our world and survive it without yeah. learning how to yeah. move on, forgive, and apologize. Yeah. You learn these lessons probably hundred times faster than I do because you have so much exposure to it. You know, you've got thousands of employees and all these situations that you're dealing with each day. And the way you've created models of how do I think through this and how do I work through it and then shared it with your people to help all of us be able to navigate through those things, I think is really impactful. There's a great YouTube video of a female basketball coach talking to her basketball team. It might have been volleyball. It, it was some sort of sports team. And her entire speech is about handling hard better. And the competitive advantage that I have in business over my peers is I've just hired more people and had more customers and dealt with things that they've never dealt with because of the scale of our business. I've just gotten better at handling hard because I've just had more of it. And if you don't get good at handling hard, you're going to get eaten up. You're going to think that the world's ending all the time. And I just have to get better at handling hard. Yeah. So you're an expert in handling hard situations now. Well, one of my good friends, his name's Matt. And Matt is the mayor of his town. And Matt runs a bunch of successful real estate businesses. And Matt is also a backup EMT for his community. And one day Matt and I were on a plane and I said, well, how was your weekend? He said, well, this weekend happened to be the weekend that I was the volunteer EMT for the community. And last night, this kid climbed up on his roof and jumped off the roof onto the pavement in like an attempt to take his own life. And he said, I showed up and I had to get this kid on the stretcher and get him in the ambulance and get him to the hospital. And we had to try to save his life. And I said, well, how did that affect you? And he said, well, the thought that kept going through my mind was there's no emergencies in business. That's an emergency. That is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And he's in real estate. So he said, there's no emergencies in real estate. In real estate, we don't have those types of problems where we're trying to fight for this kid's life like I was last night. And that always kind of resonated with me. Like, so what? If the entire business burned down today, what would I do? Well, I'd get up tomorrow and I'd build a different one. Or I'd build the same one better. Like, what is your real choice? We tend to act like these things that are happening in our lives are really bad. Think about in in the last 12 months or the last five years, the two or three worst things that happened to you. And then go back forward today and ask yourself, of those things, how many of those things are still affecting you today? And most of the time, we're going to say none of them. Yeah. Yep. Right? But we wasted all that energy and emotion trying to deal with that back then, Mm. right? We're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's happened. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you actually freeze and you don't do anything. And you just waste a lot of time and energy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chad shared with me all this great generous work you and your team does as a firm, as a company or the collection of companies. I'm curious, what's the thing that you guys are about or most passionate about right now in, in what you're giving toward? Our company's job is to support the causes that our people care about. And there's a plethora of causes that our people care about. So it's probably easier for me to answer what I care about today. I don't think any child should be hungry, and I don't think any child should be homeless. 
And those two situations right there resonate with mm-hmm. me more than anything. So a lot of our giving goes towards helping solve homelessness and hunger, especially in situations where it affects children. And a lot of those situations are because of parents making bad life choices, drugs, addiction, mental health, whatever that might be. But none of that is the child's fault. And if you don't solve the problem for the parent, there's a really high probability that the child's going to end up in the same exact drugs, alcohol, abuse, bad relationship, mental health problems. Mm-hmm. So if you really wanted to improve the world, like you would be putting a lot of time and effort into making sure that children weren't hungry or homeless, because that is the next generation of problems if you can try to solve it. So yeah. that's probably where my heart is the most, is solving those types of issues, at least in our own local community. We don't have enough money to solve the world's problems. I don't know if anybody does, but we definitely can solve some in our own community. So what does that look like today? There's an organization in town here called Lydia Place, and Lydia Place helps mothers with children get into temporary and then permanent housing. In our small community alone, there's a list of like 400 families that are currently in some unhoused situation from a couch to a tent to a car to bouncing from place to place. And I don't live in a big community. So we support Lydia Place because there's an enormous amount of moms that are leaving abusive situations or drug situations or whatever. And they're just looking for a safe place to have their kids. And that might literally be a car or a tent because that's better than whatever Mm -hmm. situation they came from prior. What's interesting about that is in the United States, there's thousands and thousands of shelters available for women with children to help them get back on their feet. But fathers with children, there's almost none. Mm. And most men cannot bring children into normal men's shelters because it's dangerous for the children. The dads can't even bring their kids in there. And there's all these government-subsidized organizations for women with children because it's 98 or 99% of the problem. You know, it's usually moms that are taking the kids. But there is a 1% or 2% problem out there with dads being a guy that was raised by a dad by himself where dads don't have a place to bring their kids. So... We're investing in an organization, we're calling a place for dads, where we help provide some simple housing for fathers with children so that they can get back on their feet. We do need a place for dads, because sometimes the men are the caretaker and are the stable and the non-drug addicted person, and they Mm -hmm. need a place. Sometimes we need to look in our communities and say what niches are underserved or being forgotten that we can help. I don't think I would be where I'm at today if it wasn't for the generosity of different people. Even as a kid, I can think of the families that took me in and let me eat dinner with them or provided breakfast or some of the teachers that helped me. I'm still in touch with many of those people today. Almost everything that I have in business is because of somebody else was willing to share something with me or somebody else was willing to give me a loan or somebody else was willing to help me during my hard times. So I really don't think any of us succeed alone. But now that I'm in a situation where money is not my limiting factor is probably mentorship and friendship. And I think often when we look around at people in business and you see somebody at the top of their game or their industry, we think they have it all figured out. But often those are some of the most lonely people in the world. And sometimes just having friends that reach out and say, how are you and how are you feeling and what's going on and how can I help is something, even though we rarely have an answer for them, just knowing that there's a couple people out there yeah. that ask. And I think we tend to not ask people in those positions how they're doing and what we can do for them because we always think that they're fine. Mm-hmm. Or they're in that position, Chad, where they feel like they always have to be strong so they can't ever say that they're struggling with something. There's something else about generosity that kind of came up as you guys are asking me these things. I used to go to these events and I would donate money 
let's say I wanted to donate a thousand dollars and that was my budget that I had right now that I could give. It's really easy to give a thousand dollars away to a charity, but a more powerful way to do that is to go back and say, I'm willing to give a thousand dollars if somebody else will. Mm-hmm. Like this idea of a matching donation yeah. is one of the most powerful tools that you could give. And I use that all the time in situations. I was at this event that was supporting another one of my new favorite nonprofits. It's called Curing Kids Cancer. And for those that have been through some form of cancer, that there are some unique treatments out there that that help, especially children. But the cost of those treatments are a lot for a family. So this organization is out there trying to fight a specific type of cancer that costs $25,000 or whatever it is for each one of these treatments. So they're trying to do that. And I had an opportunity to donate and it was like one of those, those auction situations. So I donated and at the end I, I called the auctioneer over and I said, tell you what, I don't need the prize if somebody else will match this they can have the prize and I'll still donate mine. And immediately another person stepped up and did that. So we went from donating X to donating X squared. And that's such a good way for us to think about. And maybe all the listeners out there, if, if you could think of ways to take the $10 that you have to give and turn it into 20, mm-hmm. that would be huge. Like giving Tuesday after Thanksgiving, I think it is, you know, yeah. when, when you can have your donations matched by Amazon or whoever it might be. Like just small ways that we could double the amount that we give by either rallying others to give with you or getting other people to match. Yeah. It's a great reminder on how can we be more intentional with our giving? Yeah. I love it. Well, we are going to link to your podcast and some of the other things that we referenced today down below. And as always, if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And if you're willing, leave us a review. We appreciate it. We want your stories. Do you have one to share or someone else's that needs to be shared? Leave us a comment below and email us at story at thegivingexperience.org. And make sure to join our Facebook group. And remember, give cheerfully and expect a miracle because one is on its way.